Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. be joining you today for this series, Personally Speaking, Lessons Learned in 2020. It's been a crazy time, hasn't it? A time of great uncertainty and fear, bombarded daily with headlines of doom and yet mingled with heartwarming stories, times of connection through social distancing even as we've clapped for our carers. And surely there are many lessons that we can distill from this experience. Years ago, a book was published called Don't Waste Your Sorrows. And if I remember it rightly, the idea there was that there is much that we can learn through suffering and pain. And of course, none of us want to walk that pathway. None of us would volunteer for that. But surely there are vital insights that we can glean and lessons that we can learn that can help us as we continue our journey of life. Trial can be an academy, I want to say it again, an unwelcome academy, but a situation, a place where we can learn so much. And in sharing some of the lessons that I've been learning over this last 12 months, I'd like to frame my thoughts, if I may, around some words from Jesus in John 16 and verses 32 and 33. He said, a time is coming and is in, in fact has come when you will be scattered. He's talking to his disciples. You will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart I have overcome the world. In this weird year, 2020, that we're all glad to see the back of, not only strange terrain, uh, unusual experiences, but also strange new phrases and language. Lockdown used to describe what happened in prisons when the inmates got a bit restless. And ramping up used to be the Uh, an activity much loved by skateboarders and BMX bike riders. Rolling out was the domain of carpet layers everywhere, and tears, well, they were something that we normally found in wedding cakes. There's been an unprecedented use of the word unprecedented, and the Prime Minister has utilised another rather old-fashioned word during his Downing Street press laments, as he's repeatedly said, Alas, have you noticed that? Alas, at times one felt that we were caught up in a Shakespearean drama. When I look at these words from Jesus, it seems like strange language. I've overcome the world, take heart. This is someone who is effectively on death row. They are about to be executed. And these were Jesus' final words to his disciples before his arrest. And isn't it true? that when you're going into something as cataclysmic as that, you would want your last words to be well chosen, that they might be well remembered. He wanted to sustain them for the troubles ahead. Take heart, he says, I've overcome the world. So what's all of this got to do with lessons that I personally have learned from this last year? 
Well, first of all, I've come to realise that I am allowed to be fragile. I'm allowed to be fragile. I've always known that, but that really has come home this year. People have said to me in various contexts, well, how are you doing? And my response to that has been, well, it depends what time of the day you ask me. My emotions have not been fixed on a cruise control setting, which is constant. I've had my ups and my downs. As Jesus addresses his disciples, he speaks to their fragility with great reassurance. He says to them, you'll all leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for my Father's with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now, I've reflected on this passage of Scripture for years, but never noticed the incredible impact of this truth. And that is that Jesus was saying to his disciples, I know you're going to fail. I know you're going to mess up. I know that you are fragile. You, you'll all desert me. But then he encourages them with the truth that the Father will be with him. He's not totally alone and reassures them of his love, his purposes still continuing to unfold in their lives. He's prophesying about their fragility. And of course, uh, his prophecy was fulfilled in Matthew 26 and verse 56. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. What he's saying here is, I totally know you, and I totally love you. And here's the reality. We have permission to be fragile. We don't surprise God. And that can go against the grain in our reciprocal culture, where it tends to be that you can be loved if you are lovely. And Jesus is saying, in your fragility, you're part of my purposes and you're in my heart. Now that, that can be dangerous talk, let's face it. And the New Testament faces the reality of dangerous grace talk and the, the peril that there can be in misappropriating the wonderful truth of God's grace. And so in Romans 6, 1 and 2, we read, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. God doesn't want us to take the attitude that says, well, yeah, God knows me, he knows I'm fragile, he knows I'm weak, so I'm going to just go ahead and sin my brains out, and he'll forgive me anyway, and it will all be all right. No, the Bible speaks against misusing grace in that way. But let's know that we have permission to be fragile. We see Jesus in Gethsemane saying, my soul is overwhelmed. The word there, overwhelmed, pressed down. It's the word barrio from which we get the word barometer, to be pressed down, to be depressed. We hear the Apostle Paul writing to the contentious Corinthians and talking about feeling the sentence of death in his heart. So he is honest about his struggles. I've learned this last year that it's okay not to be completely okay. I'm allowed to be fragile. I've also learned that trouble shouldn't surprise us. Trouble shouldn't surprise us because, frankly, Jesus promises trouble. Uh, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Now, that's not my favorite verse. I'm sure not yours either. I don't have that on a refrigerator magnet on my Christian refrigerator. Hooray, in this world, you will have trouble. 
But Jesus is telling us the truth about life on this planet. John, in his gospel, uses the word world 80 times, and a third of those specifically describe the world as a place of unbelief and conflict, where we have the experience of trouble, where we often find ourselves living in second choices. What are second choices? Choices are circumstances that we would not ourselves choose. Nevertheless, they are a reality. And often, first and second choice worlds collide on a trivial basis every day. Every day can have trouble and it can have joy uh, and, uh, and wonderful experiences. And they intersect. So, you know, you, you phone up your favorite restaurant and you're in a tier where you can actually go to that restaurant and a table is available, first choice. But as you pull up outside the restaurant, you get out the car and you break a nail on the door after an expensive manicure, a second choice. I hate it when that happens. You go into the restaurant, you have a wonderful meal. That's fantastic, first choice. But you have to drive home on the, on the M11 where uh, there are roadworks planned for the next 472 years, second choice. You pull up outside your house and the place where you park your car outside your house, that, that spot is clear, first choice. But as you reverse back into the spot, you reverse back into your neighbor's car and he has a very large hungry dog, second choice. At a trivial level, first and second choices intersect all of the time. But I am very aware that for some of us, we're walking through not just trivial circumstances, but a tragic season of difficulty and pain. My friend Dick Foth says, life is what happened when you expected something else. And often we find ourselves in that situation. And if we're not careful, we can be upset with God for not giving us what he never promised to give us in the first place. If we're not careful, we can set up young people with an expectation that they will only ever experience first choices in their lives. If you can dream it, you can do it, says the motivational speaker. I don't think it's true. I want young people to have hopes and dreams and aspirations, but I don't want to set them up with the idea that a worthy, wonderful life is only a life where everything that they dream of comes true. If I do that, I set them up for disappointment. I can hear somebody saying, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, forgetting the fact that that doesn't mean we can do anything we want. I can't play the bassoon, speak Cantonese, give birth to twins, or fly without tickets. There are limitations on my life. And by the way, when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, first of all, what that means is we can do that which God calls us to. It doesn't mean I can do anything. And let's take note of the fact that Paul wrote those words when he was under a two-year period of house arrest, restriction, lockdown, in Rome, writing to the Philippians. In this world, we will have trouble. We've certainly experienced that in the last 12 months. And perhaps in some of our hearts, we've, we've allowed a, a kind of quiet anger, a, a rage against God. How could you allow this to happen to us? And yet when we look at Scripture, we see that most of the pages of Scripture are written by people who experienced incredible pain. 
The promise is not that we won't have trouble. The promise is that we will. Thirdly, I've discovered that if I want peace, that it's found in the person of Jesus. Jesus says, in me, that in me you may have peace. I think if we're not careful, we can pursue peace as some kind of disembodied emotion, and that's not a biblical view of peace. The Bible teaching on peace is that it is found not just as a result of adjusting the rhythm of our lives, which is important, but rather it is found in a relationship, a walking with the person who is Jesus. It's challenging, isn't it, to find peace? Ronald Rollheiser said it's no easy task to walk this earth and find peace. Inside of us, it would seem something is at odds with the very rhythm of things, and we're forever restless, dissatisfied, frustrating, and aching. We're so overcharged with desire that it's hard to come to simple rest. And what I've been discovering this year is that if I want to be at peace, that I need to be walking in uh, running to the presence of God. I love the way that Eugene Peterson in the message renders Matthew 11:28 to 30. It very much speaks of Jesus' personalizing peace, if I can put it like this. Listen to these words. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And you see this idea of peace being in Jesus also in, in Matthew 14 and verse 27, when the disciples were terrified during that storm. Jesus is walking on water to them and it says Jesus immediately said to them take courage it is I don't be afraid peace is not found in vague spirituality it is found in Jesus and I discovered that in my life many years ago when at the age of 17 as a young man out on Christmas Eve, determined to get drunk with my friends and find a church that we could vandalize. Our plan was to throw bottles at a church that was holding a Christmas Eve service and thoroughly disrupt the occasion. Within a few months uh, that followed that, and by the way, we didn't find a church, and I'm glad about that, um, uh, within a few months, my life had been transformed, not by a little dose of religion, but by a very real sense of encounter with the risen Jesus. I've learned this year that peace is found as I consciously walk with him. Fourthly, I've discovered this year that my head has a door. My head has a door. What do I mean by that? That speaks to me of me taking responsibility for my thinking. Jesus says, take heart take heart. He seems to like that phrase. In Matthew 9 verse 2, we read some men brought to Jesus, a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And then over in Acts 23, Jesus appears to the apostle Paul. It says the following night, 
Verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Now, when Jesus uses that phrase in John 16, 33, take heart, it's called an imperative verb. That means there is an action that we take. There is something that we do. We make a choice. Deborah Veal rode uh, across the Atlantic Ocean in 2002. It took her 111 days. She battled high waves, flying fish that would fly into her while she was rowing. She was alone, um, often uh, wondering whether she would be plowed into by a passing oil tanker. And Deborah had a post-it note on the cockpit uh, that uh, was in front of her as she was rowing each day and it simply said three words, choose your attitude. Now I know, that can sound like a slick statement from a motivational speaker, but actually Jesus is telling us that we have a choice about the way that we think and the way that we respond. We can choose our attitude. That idea is also found in John 14 and verse one. Do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. Some years ago, with some friends visiting from America, we decided to go into London. We drove to our nearest railway station. We were late for the train, jumped out of the car, ran in, caught the train, had a wonderful day, came back, and then realized that the driver's door of the car was wide open. And I panicked as I saw that. I'm quite good at panicking. And I said, oh, someone's broken into the car. They hadn't. In my hurry, I had left the door of my car wide open all day. Sometimes I think I take that attitude with my mind that there's a door that I just leave wide open and my mind is at the mercy of any, any thoughts that just happen to want to meander around in my head. But actually the Bible's teaching is that we are called to take captive our thoughts. And I know that's not easy, and I know that it takes the help and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I also know that there are some for whom this can be especially challenging. I know what it is to experience clinical depression. I know what it is to need the help of medication. And if we need medication uh, at the advice of our physician, then we should take it. I know these issues are complex, but there is a call in scripture for us to begin to um, take authority over our own minds. Now, as I've just previously mentioned, and I wanna be very careful about this, there will be some who will need specialist professional help and medication in order to deal with the thoughts that, that trundle around our heads every day. I'm not in any way suggesting a slick solution. What I am calling us to is to an understanding that broadly speaking, there are actions that we can take, there are imperatives that we can respond to as we choose our attitude, as we think about the way that we are going to think. Our heads have a door. The other thing that I wanted to share with you is that I've learned this year, uh, in a year where death has come close, I have learned that I need to stay in resurrection hope. 
I mean, let's face it, we don't like to talk about death. You go to a uh, dinner with some friends. Uh, it's not usual that you say, let's, let's have a little chat about death, shall we? And death is something that we like to keep in the shadows. Uh, we like the undertaker to be down the side street, not on the main street next to Starbucks or wherever. Um, but this year, death has, has edged closer, not just in terms of the health threat, but in terms of our own awareness. And every day, we have heard the update, not only of cases of coronavirus, but also those who tragically have died as a result of this horrendous disease. In other words, our awareness of death has definitely been heightened. But I have realized that I need to claim afresh a sense of resurrection hope. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And he says that as he faces death. The word overcome only used once in John's gospel, excuse me, six times in 1 John, 17 times in Revelation. He's saying that death is beaten because he has overcome, and because he has overcome, so we will overcome in him. 1 John 5, 4, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And there's a sense in which this has got great application, I believe, to this series as we've been thinking about lessons learned during this last year. You see, we are told in Romans chapter 8 that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, nothing will. But then the Apostle Paul goes on to say, now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We follow the overcomer. Uh, faith enables us to overcome. And then we're described as being more than conquerors. Now, it's one thing to be a conqueror, but how can you be more than a conqueror? Well, perhaps one way in which we can be more than conquerors is that we don't just navigate trial with faith, but we glean vital lessons, hence my delight about this series, we distill wisdom from the experience of trial, and to use New Testament language, our faith is purified like pure gold as a result of navigating that trial. Not only are we conquering, but we are more than conquerors because we have gleaned vital insight, grown in maturity, uh, nurtured our faith, developed our trust in God as a result of passing through this fiery trial. Well, let me end this time by pointing us to two lockdowns. And you might be thinking I'm talking about the two lockdowns that we've experienced here in England. The first one that began, I think, back in March and then the second phase that we had for a month. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about two lockdowns in Scripture. And by the way, there's quite a lot of the Bible that was written by people in lockdown. The first is Daniel. Daniel, who was in lockdown, if you will, in Babylon, exiled for 60, 65 years, the whole of his life, a young man, 14 to 16, taken off to Babylon. And he has a vision of the triumphant Christ. Daniel 7, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. 
He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom's one that will never be destroyed. In other words, in lockdown, Daniel had a revelation of the Son of Man, of Jesus. And then the second lockdown is the Apostle John in Patmos, a prison island. We're not sure how long he spent there, but again, he had a revelation of the risen, ascended Christ. I turned around, Revelation 1.12, to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. And later in that passage, we read this, uh, these words. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. In other words, I have learned that in this last year, where death has edged closer to us, and I want to be completely clear about this, I'm not one of those Christians who's excited about dying. I, I love life um, here, and I want to see my grandsons grow up. I enjoy life. I, I don't have uh, an urgent need or desire to um, go to be with Jesus. Uh, eventually, that's going to happen when he comes or calls. But what I have learned is that as death has edged closer to us, it is more important than ever that we align ourselves with those first Christians, those early Christians who lived so close to death, persecuted, many of them martyred, yet sustained by this resurrection hope. What I'm hoping too is that when we look back on this season and when COVID is a vanquished foe, please God, may that be soon, that we will not lose hold, let go of the vital lessons that we've all learned, and I'm sure every one of us could share many and various insights and lessons that have come to us as a result of this time, that we won't lose sight of those, but we will live in the good of them. God bless you, and may 2021 be a happier new year and a year learned with insight gained through the challenging year that was 2020. What a great message for the start of the year. You know, we talked earlier about the Holy Spirit. And we don't think when we do a talk like this that it's simply an educational process that's going on. We believe there's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in this. That what we learn is not simply like we might in a classroom through information that's exchanged, but there's revelation, there's aha. Now I see. We believe that as Jeff has shared those points, whether you're online or in the room here, that the Holy Spirit will have applied that to your life. There will be a light bulb moment. There'll be a, aha, I get that, I see that. Was it that you felt, yeah, I'm allowed to be fragile? 
Was it, yeah, I should hold on because trouble should not surprise me? Was it, peace is found in a person? See, for me, there was a line that he just said, it's not only found in adjusting the rhythm of your life, it's found in a person. That was a, whew, for me, because I've adjusted my life. I must remember my peace is found in a person. Your head is a door. Can you take thought, every thought captive? Stay in resurrection hope. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, wherever you are in your room, in this room here. Just bow your heads, close your eyes, let the Holy Spirit instruct you now. This is what to do. This is to take that truth, do something about it. Live in the good of what is personal to Jeff, but is also personal to us because we're fellow human beings on the same planet, the same journey of life. Help us, Holy Spirit. Teach us. Show us what we can do from here on in. Let me close with this before we sing another couple of songs of worship. If you're listening online, watching online in the room here, and you've never allowed that peace to become evidence and real in your life through a relationship with Jesus, you can do that now. We want to give opportunity every time we meet for people to know Jesus. Because guys, it's about Jesus. We don't preach salvation outside of a person called Jesus Christ. We don't preach life and in all its fullness outside of a person that's Jesus Christ. We preach Jesus and Him crucified. And you can come to know Him today with a prayer. And I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm just going to ask you, whether you're online or in the room here, just repeat it. You can do it out loud or you can do it in your mind because God hears your mind. And you can say, yeah, I've decided to follow Jesus from today. Or maybe you can, for the first time, do this. Or maybe it's a recommitment for some of you. You're saying, today I've decided to follow Jesus. And pray this with me. And then let us know that you've done it. Online, put a, a, a comment in the comment box. Email us in the room here. Speak to us afterwards. Go to the stand at the back of the room. Say, yeah, today. We want to journey with you because it's about doing this life with Jesus in community together. We know that. So pray this. Lord Jesus, today I give you my life. I give up being in control. It's got me nowhere. I need you. Forgive my sin. Forgive my self-centered living. Jesus, I choose you. Become my peace. Become my life. In you, I find peace. I gave you my life. Thank you for accepting me. In your name I pray. Amen.
If you're online, I say to you again, let us know. Confess it. Say someone. Say in a line in the comments on Facebook there or YouTube. Say it. Follow. If you're in the room here, go to the back afterwards. Talk to someone that will be hanging around. Grab someone there that to give you a Bible. So yeah, today I decided to follow Jesus. Lord, we give you all the praise, all the glory. We keep our eyes fixed on you as we lead and walk into this new year. Guide our steps, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand to our favor in the room, or even if you're online, let's worship our God together again with these songs as we draw our service to a close. Know that you're loved and appreciated. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you.